Today on Lockdown Red Wings, how Iserman's cap management could set the table for long-term success. Your Locked On Red Wings, your daily podcast on the Detroit Red Wings. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Red Wings podcast. We are your hosts, Brian Fisher and Scotty Bentley. I'm a podcast producer for the Daily J, a WWJ news radio podcast. While Scotty's host over at Locked On Tigers, as well as a freelance journalist for the Detroit News. And on today's episode, guys, you know, we've mentioned it a lot in recent episodes, just breaking down free agent signing, stuff like that. The, the, the cap management that Steve Eiserman has showcased could, if continued to be used right, give the team long-term success. And that's kind of what we want to lead off with at the very least and kind of break down what we mean by that. Um, And then we go into talking about, you know, what pieces that Eiserman has acquired will be part of this team's long-term success as well. And why that cap space is going to matter as I'm realizing right now, I spelled salary wrong uh, on the, the today's show part. That's because I was rushing. Good old salary, baby salary, baby. Uh, but Scotty, I mean, this was your uh, topic idea. Why don't you lead us off? Like when you talk about, we talk about long-term money, what are we talking about in this situation? Well, yeah, you know, I, I just, I think this is a really fascinating conversation for a lot of reasons. Um, I, I, I just, I feel like there is the Red Wings are at a really interesting point where they have long-term pieces that are like locked up for a long time and then they have shorter term pieces that could be extended and then they have shorter term pieces that when their contracts are over they will become you know free agents or whatnot and the Red Wings will get that money back and I I I think there's a somewhat of a debate around some of them uh but b the we we talked about it a lot during the like Debrinket saga we'll call it right like Steve Eiserman doesn't like long-term deals and Larkin is obviously an exception to that just you know captain and whatnot but he doesn't like long-term deals and so I think that keeping that in the back of our minds you know like the the anti you know over six years or whatever like kind of mindset that he has on top of just the where the roster is set right now I think there's a lot of really really uh, interesting like moves in the future that this team is set up to do. And uh, I, you know, like it, it's not as player friendly, but uh, I mean, when building a team, like it's hard to deny that keeping everybody in that two to four, two to five year range, as far as contracts goes, gives you a lot more flexibility than the alternative. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the player friendly part because it definitely isn't, player friendly like a lot yeah. of these guys want to get their bags they want to get their long-term deals and he gave dylan larkin that and i've mentioned this on the show before so i don't mean to beat the dead horse here but you know they gave larkin the the eight-year deal because he was the captain like he's meant to be here for his entire career at least in theory and like be the core and the rock of the organization but outside of that like you know maybe more cider could earn eight-year contract but it probably i'm i've started to change my tune like the more often that steve eiserman refuses to give people longer than a five-year deal or a four-year deal, the more I become convinced that like the next contract that Raymond Insider will get won't be those long-term deals. They'll be maybe three or four-year bridge deals because what Steve Eiserman is trying to accomplish by signing these guys to five-year or shorter, five-year or fewer 
con uh, year-long contracts is to establish like what I've been calling a rolling cap space. You know, you look at the Red Wings, how many moves they made this offseason. They signed 10 different guys. And some of those guys, when you, especially when you accompany with the moves he made last offseason, you know, five-year deals, $5 million each. So it's like $25 million. Then down from there, like he spent a lot of money these last two offseasons. But that's because both of these last two offseasons, he had the money to spend. Last offseason was $40 million. This offseason was $30 million. This off, up, upcoming offseason, if you know, he obviously has to still sign Joe Valeno, but he's going to have another $33 million in cap space to sign more guys or re sign or extend guys that he already has on his roster. So these short term deals he's making, and I know in the last two offseason, he, off he's created longer term deals for some of these guys, but he's creating a system where guys are coming off the books every single offseason to create room for bringing new guys, younger guys in, more effective guys to make the team not just better, but continue success, hopefully, hopeful success, year in and year out, to just continue that roster turnover. Yeah, and you know, it's it's the, the double-edged sword of this conversation is for players like Raymond, and, and I guess Cider is, is probably the biggest one, right? Like, there is something to be said for... Look, if there was ever somebody to break your rule on, it probably is Moritz Sider. And the reason behind that is you could be, if he reaches the heights that you expect him to reach and, you know, like he, he stays remotely healthy, like he, he has the ability to give you a discount in exchange for giving out one of those long-term you know, seven, even eight year deals. Right. And, and the, the logic behind that is like, he's still growing as a player. We, we don't know. We, everybody has an opinion on what the ceiling, what Cider's ceiling is, but that's not set in stone. Nobody knows exactly where that's going to be. So if you're looking at his trajectory and you go, okay, well, let's lock him up for the next seven years, right? Let's give him a seven year deal. Let's give him an eight year deal then you can go, okay, well, we'll give you more than you're worth right now, AAV-wise. We will we will give you make you a higher AAV per year salary than what you would expect and that what your value is given your current production right now so that in years four through eight, when he's in his presumed prime and is the best, I mean, he already is the best defenseman on this team, but it's like, you know, the best defenseman on hopefully like a Stanley Cup contending team and is like perhaps one of the better defensemen in the entire conference, perhaps even one of the better defensemen in the entire NHL. Then you're looking back and you're like, okay, well, I don't even like calling it an overpay, but like we gave him more of his value at the early years of those deals so that we could kind of get a return on, on our investment. And now we're getting him for an objective discount at the end. And like, that's, that's like the one, I, I don't, I don't even know if exception is the right word, but like, that's the one, I guess, counter argument to this, like, Hey, let's keep everything into three to five years. Because if you give cider a four year deal, he's going to be a UFA then at what? Like 25, 26. I don't think he'll be a UFA that short. I mean, the RFA rights, how long do those last, right? I mean, he'll... Well, no, but I'm saying if you gave him, if, well, I guess it depends on how you do it. If you're extending onto the end of the RFA stuff, yes. But if you're just giving him a new four-year contract, then it's different. But 
regardless, like if if you were to to play this game and, and give him a, a shorter year, shorter term deal, whatever, you let his RFA status run out, then you give him a shorter term deal. You're going to be putting him as a UFA, like right in, in the middle of his presumed prime or as he's entering his presumed prime, right? Whereas if you just lock him up long term, then you don't have to worry about that as much. So like it's uh, it really is a back and forth type of thing. Yeah, and I, I'm not – I know that I'm in love with the idea of extending Cider not on that long-term deal for all the things that you just listed out and laid out. But, you know, I look at what the starts with Jason Robertson, who is a really good NHL player, 109 points this last year. And they – you know, Jim Nill, who came from the Red Wings organization with Ken Holland, albeit, uh, only signed him to a four-year deal, 7.75, because Jim Nill doesn't – also doesn't like paying guys long-term money. Yeah. It's, it's not in his DNA either. So – I feel like that, and by the way, he'll be an RFA at the end of his contract. Um, I believe he'll be 26 years old. So, like, I'm not necessarily – I'm warming up to the idea of giving maybe Cider and Raymond that shorter-term deal just to continue again that that rolling cap hit. But, again, you will have to re-sign Cider because you assume that he's not going to just, like, crap the bed um, right. in, like, year three or four and just become, like, a bottom feeder. So, like, that's where the, the problem becomes because if you do sign him that long-term deal – he becomes, you know, much more valuable in the later stages of that contract if he remains that good. But it's just not part of. I mean, Cider, I think, could be the only real exception at, at this stage of yeah. the Red Wings uh, who would get that eight-year deal. But with the way that Eiserman's building it right now, he's clearly, at least, if I'm Eiserman, I'm clearly building this with the idea of every single offseason I have room to wiggle because you don't want to be a Toronto Maple Leafs who are like, oh God, let me look. I have it up here. Toronto Maple Leafs are currently. $8 million over the cap. The Lightning are $8 million, $6 million over the cap. The Canucks are four and a half over the cap. Like you don't want to be those teams who are over the cap and have to sell off assets to try and, or LTIR guys to try and figure it out. Yeah. And you I think want Steve Eisman, coming off the books every off season, if you can. And like, if you look too, like the guys who are signed to those long-term contracts are guys who are, are presumed to be here for all five years and play important roles. in your top six or your top four pairs, it's the guys who, aren't who are signed to those little contracts those guys you can replace with younger parts like it just it when you look at the bigger picture it makes a lot of sense uh we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we'll continue this conversation uh but first i gotta talk to you guys today about FanDuel. take your first swing at betting mlb on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to 200 that's right just bet 20 bucks and you'll land 200 in bonus bets win or lose that's 200 you can spend on everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit that first home run. All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Sign up today. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Segment two, Locked On Red Wings podcast. Scotty and I are talking about the long-term implications of the money with the Detroit Red Wings. And the, the next thing I'm about to say, Scotty, um, is going to come off as a very uh, no-duh situation. But at a certain point, the Red Wings have got to stop taking on contracts for the purpose of buying them out. I know the Kyler Yamamoto thing, because of his age, you end up only have to pay him one-third. It's only a little bit of money. But... You know, you're still paying, and it's not a lot of money, but you just got off of the Franz Nielsen uh, buyout. The Justin Ablicator, Jeez. you're still paying him another million for three more seasons. Uh, Kyler Yamamoto, you're paying about $500,000 the next two years. 
if you want to maintain long-term success, you got to avoid buyouts. And I know that, again, I said it out loud. It's a no-dust statement. And once this team gets to being in a position to succeed, they're going to not take on contracts for the express purpose of buying them out unless they're already on the team and they're not working out, in which case sometimes, like, again, Advocator and Franz Nielsen, it just ends up being the right decision to make. But that is an important part of the long-term success of this team is at a certain point, you got to stop taking on dead money for future assets, but that comes with the transition to a winning team anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's too much of a conversation just because I completely agree with what you just said. Like they are just at that weird spot where they are transitioning from rebuild to contention. Like we're literally right in the middle of it. Like that, like the Debrinket trade was really the, the, like the bat signal for like the, you know, the tides, I think like officially turning in that regard. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think that that's, uh, you're right. Uh, that's, it's something that, uh, that rebuilding and bad teams usually do to help with asset management. And it's something that good teams that need all, every single dollar they can uh, in the salary cap to, you know, keep their product on the field or on the field on the ice doesn't do. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, like the, the wings are just in that transition period. I, I would imagine after the ones that are currently on the books are done, then that'll be over. Well, they talk a lot of two. Uh, we've heard a lot in the off season about the acquisitions the Red Wings have made in the longer term uh, range, like the Ben Chirot, Justin Hall, JT Comfer, Andrew Kopp are the first four that really come to mind. I mean, those are guys who are going to be here for three to four more years or five more years in Comfer's uh, case. And a lot of people will criticize as we're saying those are really middling picks, but you know, you're paying those players for their prime, you know, all four, four of those guys I just named, their contracts are going to be up before the end of their, what, I think age 35 season. Like you're, That's why it, it makes so much sense to sign those guys to the longer-term deals. They're only going to be UFAs and get that real big bag once, and you're still not paying them all the way until they're well past their prime. Once, they're prime, once their contract's up, you can dump them. And that sounds so rude when you say it that way, but you can, get, you can release them or not resign them. We've all been. have you'll have younger guys who are ready to step up and replace them at that point. You know, it would suck if it takes five years for, you know, uh, Nate Danielson to make the NHL team as a top six center, but like, that's what you're setting up. You have guys on the roster right now who are in their prime, who are going to be in your top six or top nine, whatever you want. And by the time they start, their production starts to dip, you'll be ready with young guys on much cheaper contracts to replace them in the lineup. It's just, because guy, that's where it comes is like who is part of the, this Red Wings future, and you look at this this cap situation and how it's panned out, and you can see the you can almost see how it's supposed to work. The first few years, it's all cop, all comfort, and then like a year three or four, five, that's when you see Marco Casper and Nate Danielson maybe start to take over, and those guys, other guys' roles really take a step back. Well, you know, that that is a, a transition into a fantastic point that should not be taken lightly, and that is that uh, salary cap management becomes insurmountably easier when you have a great farm system. And, like, that is – that's objective. That is uh, something that the best organizations in hockey, the best organizations in any sport that has like a, a you know, a minor leagues, like has a farm system, has a prospect pool. Uh, that's just how it works. Like it, it, it's significantly easier to have a conversation 
about not paying someone. If you have a highly regarded prospect that you're like, eh, like I could see this person replacing, maybe not right away, but over the next course of the next four years, I could see this kid replacing the production of the 28, 29, 30 year old that we'd have to resign right now. Like that, you know what I mean? And that that's healthy. Those, those conversations should be difficult because that's the sign of a healthy, deep organization. And so, yeah, like to your point, I, I mean, if, if you do have those type of players waiting in the wings at all, all times, right? If you have a couple of, of forwards and, and a couple of guys on the blue line, it doesn't even have to be, you know, like eight top prospects deep or something. But like, if you have dudes constantly waiting in the wings, then like the, the, the conversation around these guys, I guess, becomes more difficult, but it becomes significantly easier to get over the loss and to part ways with those type of players just because of that. So yeah, like, you know, this, this conversation isn't just strictly, you know, like money long-term. It's also like, if you can develop talent well, then that that makes it a lot easier to, to allocate funds as well. Well, like this is where the Red Wings prospect pool just comes in so handy, right? Like the fact that you have these all currently. a lot of guys who currently are projected to be NHL caliber talent and you have them on cheap, cheap deals and they're going to be RFAs and then they'll be arbitration eligible, eligible right. RFAs. Like you're going to be able to continue to, you know, pay them cheaper contracts when their production is going to be hopefully very good. Like Nate Danielson, Marco Casper, Carter Mazur, Almer Soderblom, you know, Wallander, Edvinson, Johansson, like all these guys, if and when they make the NHL could be, and hopefully will be, extremely impactful NHL caliber players on cheap, cheap deals. And there's going to start bleeding into the league very shortly here. Like you could see guys like Casper and Edvinson as soon as this season. Right. And you know, once they they're going to end up replacing a roster player that you're paying a lot more money to play the game. And this, these guys are going to be on cheap con team control. So that plays so much into this team's long-term cap success is having players under team control that are NHL caliber players. And that's, it's just, again, I, I said it at the end of segment one, and I'll say it again here nearing the end of segment two. It's like, when you look at cap friendly and you look at everything and you take it all in, you, you can kind of get a picture of like, what is the goal here? You pay guys to play here in their prime right now until the young guys who you have on cheap contracts under team control, come up and then you'll have cap space when this team is competing and then you can utilize that cap space to take this team from a competing team to a stanley cup team it's that simple correct yeah well and another point i guess we can get to to break here first because i i probably will ramble a little bit but like there's like we've talked about how the the allocation of funds is very determined based on only the talent at the nhl level but also the talent in, in the system, but it also allows you more flexibility in the trade market, which is yes. like another huge part of this. Like, it's not all just, oh, what's your cap this year? Like, it is, it, it, there is huge implications every single trade deadline now if you always have a piece that is available and like flexible enough to move. Yes, absolutely. Uh, like Scotty said, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll wrap up this conversation. Uh, on the cap situation and who is part of the future. So stay tuned to Locked on Red Wings. 
Segment three, Locked On Red Wings podcast. Scotty and I are having a conversation about the long-term salary cap implications that Steve Eisman, at least as we view it, has set up. Uh, Scotty, you, you had a point you wanted to get to. If you want to carry on uh, now. <laughs> yeah, it's just <laughs> now. It's now. just uh, it's just it's just one of those things where like if you have both of the things we just mentioned, if you have organizational depth and you have that flexibility of like, hey, some decent name or better or multiple are going to be UFAs at the end of every season. Yes, they get, that can be somewhat stressful just for maintaining a core long term, but also it allows you to have flexibility at pretty much every single trade deadline to do something. And that is, let's say at, at the deadline, okay, we have enough organizational depth. We're willing to part ways with some of these young skaters, some of these prospects to bring in a more top heavy, you know, like big name player at a deadline on an expiring deal. We're not paying him long-term, you know, whatever, but he's going to help us in the second half of the season in the playoffs. Let's do it. And so you have that, but on the flip side, and this is, I think the much more fascinating part of this conversation. And one that I think Iserman has already begun to kind of prove that he will be willing to do long-term is buying and selling at the same time. That is a, a very fine line to walk and something that uh, a lot of teams have a somewhat of a difficult time doing or sometimes, again, their salary situation prevents them from doing both of those things at the same time, right? If you're way over cap, you're just going to say, oh, screw it, let's just go all in kind of thing. Um, but if you have that organizational depth and you have some flexibility there, you can do both. And my point with that is like um, – not, this past offseason was was mostly selling, especially after the Ottawa series. But like no one had Heronic really on their radar to get traded. Oh God, that was even Eiserman said it wasn't on his radar. <laughs> right, and so like I feel like you are going to be in a position to make some a move similar to that every offseason. Like looking at this upcoming season, right, and looking at who's under contract for then like the immediate future here. Um, Perron is an expired. He's only has one year left. He's an expiring deal. If let's just fast forward to the trade deadline. I know it's July. That's insane. But like, just hear me out. Like that's probably a little tough for you. If I'm assuming the Red Wings are going to be somewhat in it at the deadline, they're going to want to put it together a competitive product. If they're out of it, then obviously they're just going to trade all their expiring deals. But like, if they're in it, they'll probably just hold on to Perron and whatnot. But a player like Fabry is fascinating to me because at this year's deadline, he will be at four million AAV. So you'll have to pay the rest of that this upcoming season, and then four mil the following. He's only twenty-seven years old, as it stands right now in July. He's had some injuries. He hasn't been on the ice too terribly much, but when he is on the ice, I think he's been worth about a four million AAV evaluation. And the Red Wings have a lot, all of a sudden, of depth at the winger position. So you could very well be in a position where you're like, you know what? I think maybe we will trade, I don't know, like some of our prospects for, again, like some top-end talent, maybe whatever you want to do on the buying side of things, but also to reinforce the depth within this organization or maybe get us uh, a, a pick that we didn't think we'd get. Like with Heronic, maybe we flip Fabry as well in kind of this weird buy and sell at the same time type of mode. And and I'm not like advocating to trade Robbie Fabry right now, but I'm just laying out the point that like you have so much more flexibility at 
every summer and every trade deadline with a guy, you know, like, hey, there's a rental or a year and a half rental that the Red Wings are somewhat willing to part ways with every single deadline for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you we've pretty well laid out the salary cap situation here uh, with the Detroit Red Wings. What do you but, think about Raymond? What about him? Well, we talked about Cider. I don't, you know, and how they'd be, we'd be a little more willing to go longer term with him. Not right now with Raymond. I need I him would to agree. have a really good third agree. season. But are, so does that mean you're anti an extension at all? Like you're just going to go year to year, do the RFA and the arbitration thing? He needs to, once he, let him play out his, at least the majority of his third year on his ELC, and then we can reconvene and see. Well, then if he does well, then the value goes up. Yes. I'm not saying I disagree. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I I don't think Raymond would want to sign a new extension right now anyways, knowing that he had a down year. I think he would want to say, I'm going to prove that I earn more money. So Um, speaking of which, I was going to say, speaking of which, that leads us right to our next thing is like what players in this organization right now are part of the future long-term. Like right. We, well, we, I kind of listed my, some guys off. Right. This is my my under the radar like extension conversation. We've talked about cider. We've talked about Raymond. What do you think about the concept of giving a multi year extension to Berger? Uh you know, uh, not right now. That would definitely be a conversation to be had after the second year of his contract. Sure. He showed some great flashes, and I think he is going to be a stud at the NHL level, but I des- des- definitely need to see another year of success out of him. I, I, I would agree with you, um, but I, I do think the, the, the conversation is somewhat fascinating just because I, especially if you were to do Cider or Raymond first, you could very easily go to his agent and just be like, you're not getting more than this, obviously. So, like, you know what I mean? I, I feel like you could use one of those two as maybe Siders is just, like, too different where it'd be like, yeah, obviously, we didn't expect that. But, like, if you, if you did, like, Raymond first, you could kind of set the bench, benchmark and be like, you're not getting anywhere close to that. So, maybe we we tag two years onto the ELC, do an extension type of thing. I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. I'm just kind of like thinking out loud. I, I I think that there is somewhat of a conversation there. Yeah, I mean, I think Bergeron is long-term with this team. I think long-term with this organization. I think he has a future. Um, I mean, outside the guys who are signed long-term, like Cop and Comfer, who are going to be here for, you know, for another four and five years, respectively. Um, like guys on the roster right now that I see as being like part of this team when they win a Stanley Cup, Jake Wallman, maybe. On defense, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, obvious guys who are obvious. I'm not going to say like sure Larkin, Debrinket, Raymond. Like those are guys I expect to be there, right? But and Cider as nice well. To say Debrinket, it is nice to that's say. That's crazy. That's like yeah. still like fresh. That's just so like I don't just yeah. say that with ease. Like I still like, damn, we really have Alex Debrinket. We, we really secured the bag. I'd love to see Michael Rasmussen as a part of this team uh, when they win a Stanley I Cup. I, I think he has. I mean, one, I think I can get, he's not got one more year left at his current contract. He's going to be an arbitration eligible RFA at the end of it. If this year he comes out and he continues what he did last year, but can play the full 82 and just crushes it. Like I, I'll be hundred percent sold. This man has, this man has a future with this organization. Um, He's all in. He's all in. But then like, I, there's obvious prospects as well. Like I expect Danielson, Casper, Mazur, 
uh, Edvinson, even Will, uh, Will uh, Wallander, not Willander. We didn't draft him. And Johansson, like I expect those guys to be, and Sebastian Kosa, like the prospects like that, I, I fully expect to be part of this team when they're ready to compete. Like they have taken steps every single year to get better toward and head towards the NHL. Some of them aren't there yet. Like I think Kosa is still a little bit away, but you know, guys like Casper and Edvinson are like on the cusp. Johansson and Wallander are like just behind them. Mazer might take another year or two, but like I expect them to be on the NHL roster and be part of this team's future. I do too. And I, again, like I, I think the, the nature in which this team and this front office hands out deals allows for natural opportunities and, and natural like playing time to arise at some point over the next several years for all those guys. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to end on this, Scotty. So I was just scrolling cap friendly while we were talking, and I noticed something. Guess who got an entry level contract with the St. Louis Blues? I really set you up for failure here. I'm very sorry. I, I have. N- well, I'm trying to. It was somebody that we really loved last year during the preseason and during training camp. Last year. Yeah, during preseason training camp, we were like, this guy could like make his way onto the team with from like just invite from professional or amateur invite. Sure. To I, yeah, I remember. I remember doing those shows. I'm trying to remember who we talked about that's not here anymore. I don't know. Jeremy Biakabatuka. Wow. Yeah, we did, man. There was a there was, was a solid. Fun. There was a solid group of, I want to say like three or four names last year that we brought up as like, yeah, like these guys got invites to camp. They looked really good. And now like they're going to go elsewhere and that's kind of disappointing, but like, there's no room, there's no room. And he was definitely one of them. To this day, I I am shocked that he was one of the guys who got cut and didn't get an ELC because he's a six foot four right shot defenseman who plays right side he's 200 pounds like you could stand and put on a few pounds but like 21 years old like this guy was everything that steve eisman loves in a defenseman he was super physical and he was super aggressive but they cut him in the end and i'm, I'm happy to see that he landed on an elc like him. not just like a two-way contract like an entry right. contract with the st louis blues so yeah, good for him man for him. that's the dog and then also we'll, we'll probably use this on an episode in a couple weeks, if we do, um, you know, Atlanta division previews, but Jay fresh last year, you remember he did the projections based on his model and mm. his projection had the Red Wings making the playoffs with 96 points fourth in the Atlantic, but a wild card team with 96 points. It went Boston, 104 points, Florida, 104 points, Toronto, 103 points, Detroit, 96, when? falling out of the playoffs. When was the last time the Detroit Red Wings were preseason projected to make the postseason? I don't know. And like the thing is, like there are some oddities on here. Like Winnipeg, he has them projected to have 107 points based on his model, but the uh, Calgary to bounce back to make the playoffs with 98 points. Like certain teams on here, you're like, oh, that's kind of weird. But other teams, you're like, that would be hype namely the detroit red wings and last year he projected the boston bruins to have like 130 points and even he was like i don't know what the model sees here i am so confused and then they broke the record and then they did uh, yeah <laughs> not trying to say that that gives like him 100 percent. no you know, yeah well help, flappable, it's a but. model at the end of the day yeah it's supposed to it's supposed to be a guideline and in, in, induce discussion so so and i it 
Got, definitely got me pumped. So uh, we will definitely bring that back up. He does a couple of these every year, so I'm sure he'll have yeah. a couple more versions out uh, by the time we talk about the Atlantic Division. Probably hit, reach that in August. That's when we'll start doing player and season previews. So stay tuned for that. Um, but anyway, Scotty, that does it. you have any final thoughts, man? We ball. We do ball. We'll be back with a new episode tomorrow. So stay tuned for that. Same time, same place. See your team every day. Every day. Every day.